Hi everyone, I'm Ronnie Mehta with Managing IP, and I'm here with Alyssa Naren and Nicole Smallberger, uh, trademark partners from Adams & Adams in South Africa. The firm specializes in providing IP and commercial services from its offices throughout South Africa and branches and associate offices across the continent. I'm going to be handing over to our experts who will provide a brief introduction of their work with Adams & Adams. So Alyssa, do you want to start? Hi, yes, that's fantastic. Um, I am a partner at Adams & Adams, specializing in both trademark prosecution and litigation. So I can help people with their brand strategy and protection in Africa, and then also helping them with the enforcement of their trademarks. So that is in a nutshell of what I do. I've been with the firm for 10 years um, and just recently made partner. Um, great. And Nicole, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, yeah, sure, Ronnie, and, and thanks for having us. So I am a trademark and copyright litigation attorney. Um, I specialize in a range of litigious matters across the continent, um, from trademarks, copyright, domain names, company name issues, a host of, of, of various uh, litigious uh, issues. And as Alyssa mentioned, we, we work quite closely on the prosecution and litigation side in assisting our clients with, with their strategies, um, which really start at the filing stage of how, how they acquire their rights and see that through right through to the enforcement side of things. I joined the firm in 2009 um, and yeah, and also recently became a partner in our litigation department. Great, thank you so much. Um, so we're going to be talking about protecting your trademarks in Africa and going into concerns in several countries, including Nigeria. But before we go into the how, we thought it would be a good idea to start with the why. So for listeners who aren't already focused on registering or protecting the rights in Africa, why should they be? Well, it's a great question, Rani. Um, I think it's important to realize that Africa is the world's second most populous continent. And if you hone in on that population, it is the continent that has 60% of its population being under the age of 25. So you have a very young and increasingly well-educated population in Africa that certainly will have the potential to, to really shape business and economics going forward into the future. Oh, great. I mean, I think that's that those some really great uh, reasons. Um, so uh, what are the challenges of relying on well-known marks in the continent? Thanks, Ronnie. I think I'll take that one. Um, so I think one of the biggest challenges in Africa is a lot of the, the territories of the countries in Africa, what we call first to file jurisdictions. And this basically means that it only recognizes trademarks that are on register that have been filed and, you know, proceeded to grant. And this can be very challenging for investors coming into Africa thinking, oh, but, you know, my trademark is so well known. Surely I'll be able to enforce it. Um, 
in the African territories. And the problem is, if it's a first-to-file jurisdiction, then that's not the case because well-known rights or prior user rights are not recognized in those countries. A typical example of that would be in the case of OWAPI, which is an African regional system consisting of 17 um, countries, formerly French-speaking jurisdictions, where well-known and prior user rights are not recognized. Um, So an owner of a well-known trademark will have a very difficult time in trying to protect or enforce a trademark in in OAPI. And the second, you know, concern you have about first-of-all jurisdictions is some of them will only protect you for the goods for which you are well-known. So if you take the very well-known Coca-Cola trademark, there are territories that will only recognize the fact that Coca-Cola is well-known for beverages or soft drinks. So if somebody were to come along and register Coca-Cola for cigarettes, for example, you would be in trouble and your hands would be tied. So the recognition of well-known you know, rights in some of these territories are quite limited. Um, and then you get examples of territories like Mozambique, for example, where even if you have a well-known trademark, you still are required to file an application in the country before you enforce it. So those are some of the limitations um, with recognition of well-known rights in some of these territories. Uh, an additional issue that we, you know, come across quite often is that in order to show that a mark is well known in a country, you've got to show use in that country. So you're not able to rely on spillover advertising, for example. You've got to show that you've actively advertised and sold to consumers in that country. And uh, an example of this would be Morocco where unless you can show use in Morocco, you are not going to meet the required standard of showing that your trademark is well known in Morocco. Um, And when you think about it, Africa is such an inexpensive territory on the large. It's, It's relatively cheap to get a registration in Africa. And when you weigh that against the burden of showing that your trademark is well known, um, it's a no brainer, you know, in terms of protect first, in terms of a registration and relying on well-known should be your last resort. Mm. Yeah, I think if I can just add, I I don't think that playing a purely defensive game in Africa um, is, is a good strategy because down the road, it can really lead you to substantial and unexpected costs in trying to address infringements that may not have been such a difficulty had you looked at Africa and focused on your your key strategic and and business territories in terms of securing your rights. So it's a strategic game. I mean, we we certainly appreciate that um, attorneys who are managing vast uh, trademark portfolios of of well-known rights or an an in-house legal advisor who's looking at a worldwide portfolio of trademarks can't, you know, sort of off the cuff, just file in every country and every class that might be of interest. So for that reason, we we really recommend a strategic and focused filing strategy in Africa. And we we often partner with, with our clients to look at a tiered approach where we can speak with the business, decide which countries are, are, 
important from that business perspective where you have an actual presence and from there move into countries that may be of uh, you know strategic importance in terms of what rights you can and can't enforce and i think that's where it's quite important to have some understanding of what well-known rights are in a particular territory how are they considered and whether or not they can be enforced and proven yeah, yes, absolutely. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it definitely seems like there are a lot of challenges that come with getting these rights in, in terms of relying on well-known marks. And I think mm-hmm. uh, you alluded to that earlier with how we, you, you know, uh, a, a little bit, but I think one thing we wanted to talk about was how do you prove well-known rights if you, if you are relying on them? I mean, I think you said you had to, you know, show use, but is there anything else that, you know, you need to, you know, focus on in order to prove well-known rights? Indeed, yeah. I think the first thing to realize, and I think it's an important point to make, is that many African countries are signatories to the Paris Convention. So well-known rights are recognized um, in many countries across the continent, but there are nuances and slight differences in terms of the extent of the recognition and then, of course, how it would be proven. So as Alyssa mentioned, typically the brand owner would need to establish that the trademark is well known in the country in issue. So if you have a, a problem in Kenya, you would need to show that it's well known in Kenya. If the problem is in South Africa, you would need to show well known in South Africa, not just sort of an international reputation. It it will be focused on the particular country. And generally, if you can put up evidence of use in that country, that would be first prize. I mean, that's incredibly helpful evidence. So the likes of sales figures and advertising figures, promotional materials that have circulated in the country, and so on would would be incredibly helpful. In some territories, spillover advertising will be acceptable. So you might be able to put up evidence of, you know, your use in neighboring states or in the region at large. Um, And I think in our our technological age, the internet, social media and its reach can also not be overlooked. I think that evidence of that nature is, is, kind of being given more and more attention. How many hits have you had from a particular country to your website? What is your social media following? I mean, all of those statistics can be pulled and can be very helpful. But in countries where we have no use, often what is very helpful is to conduct in-market research and, and to come out with a market survey And there have been, certainly in South Africa, matters where market survey evidence has been incredibly persuasive and helpful to the courts in establishing that the relevant public is indeed aware of a mark and that it it in fact enjoys a great deal of recognition, even though it may not be actively in use in the territory. So that, that sort of evidence can also be very helpful. Yeah, and I think if I can, I can jump in as, um, we should not underestimate the value of the internet and, and social media because I think that becomes really handy when you're relying on well-known mm-hmm. rights. And, you know, with the technology that you have now, you can get as granular as saying, well, 20 people or 20,000 people in Kenya accessed my social media page or my website. So you can actually drill down to where the users are based in order to show that 
you know, consumers in that country recognize um, or are aware of your trademark and that it is a well-known trademark in that particular yeah. country. I mean, that's that's incredibly helpful evidence. Um, I just want to say that where you're dealing with consumer goods, as Alyssa also mentioned earlier, in some countries it really will come down to having to evidence use in relation to the same goods that you are now encountering and, and wanting to address. So it may be, for example, a trademark opposition that you're dealing with. Um, if we can use the example of the cigarette, so there's an application now in Clause 34 for your well-known trademark, but perhaps your mark is used in that country for different goods. There, it, it, it still becomes a little bit tricky in those countries, but I think that the online evidence certainly will assist the presiding officer in, in contextualizing and understanding the awareness and the recognition enjoyed by the brand. So not without its challenges, but I, I think that, you know, um, the modern resources we have available to us really open up new creative arguments in, in enforcement. Absolutely. And then um, I also understand from our prior conversations that there are some uh, trademark squatting issues in Nigeria. Yes. Can you speak to how trademark owners can manage these? Yes. I mean, you know, we, we wanted to focus in on Nigeria because it's such a big economy. In fact, it's the largest economy on the continent. So Nigeria is certainly not a country to be overlooked in any filing strategy. It, it, must, it must definitely be right up there and it must be part of the discussion. But we've encountered a lot of issues in Nigeria and I think that perhaps speaks to the fact that it's such a big economy. I mean, counterfeiters are also alive to these sorts of, these sorts of stats and they know that this is a country where they can make good on their investment if they enter that market. So what we've seen, for example, is that trademarks are filed for well-known marks and only prosecuted up to the point of the notice of acceptance being issued. So essentially, the trademark squatter gets to a place where they have a piece of paper that appears to be official and seems to communicate that they have some sort of a right, being the notice of acceptance. But then they let that mark languish. So they don't move it forward to a point where it will be advertised for opposition purposes, nor do they, of course, take it beyond that point to registration where you might be able to cancel it. So this can pose challenges for a brand holder. Um, first of all, because the mark is never advertised for opposition purposes, you may simply just not be aware of its existence until such a point as you try to register your mark only for this one to be cited against it. So you then have a, you know, the, the trademark squatter blocking your trademark application and you now have to deal with it. Opposition isn't an option. So, you know, because the mark's not been advertised, you are before that point in the process. So you are either going to find yourself in a proceeding before the registrar trying to get that notice of acceptance withdrawn or ultimately even possibly before the courts trying to address the issue of this trademark squatter. So I think it just talks once again to being proactive as opposed to reactive in your filing strategy. Um, in this scenario, you now have to be reactive and try to get your mark through, but also address a problem that may never have arisen if you had gotten your mark on the register first. You know, your mark would then have blocked 
the trademark squatter and and they would never have gotten as far as they've now gotten so we're seeing a lot of that kind of thing in nigeria um you know it's as i mentioned not limited to nigeria there have been issues in mozambique where we've had trademark squatters filing for numerous well-known marks. So it will be the same trademark squatter just sort of rolling out its own filing strategy, specifically honing in on well-known marks. Um, we've had issues in in Zambia where, you know, market-leading companies' get-ups are being copied very closely and labels being applied for um, as trademarks. In countries like Algeria, we've seen, you know, how how can I describe it? Fake retail outlets popping up, for example. Um, so there are all sorts of things that that are happening out there. I think because we have economies that are growing, and you have a, a bigger consumer base as these younger, this young populations kind of coming into the economy. Um, I, I think it's 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 sort of the perfect storm for for this kind of this kind of conduct and it's so important for brand owners to get in there first and not be left out in the cold in the end. I couldn't agree more and in in these situations they're so hairy and the only people that actually win are the lawyers um, because we're able to write insane fees when you actually compare it to what it costs to file applications in this in these countries it's chalk and cheese. Mm -hmm. Um, and another difficulty that, that we see with the registries is, you know, they themselves are not always equipped to deal with these complex issues um, because it is complicated and there are no protocols in place to be able to deal with it, which is why you're often then chucked to the high court to have to deal with it. Um, and then matters take years to be resolved. I mean, I couldn't agree more. It, it kind of plays to the strategy. You know, it all comes down to the strategy where, where you might, as, as Alyssa said, be making a, a relatively small investment in, in working out your filing strategy as opposed to possibly having a real problem and being tied up in years of litigation um, over an issue that could have been avoided. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, it seems I think the uh, a general advice of being proactive and not reactive. I mean, that's such good advice for so many different issues, but it seems, you know, very important here. Are there any other mistakes that uh, trademark owners make when, you know, registering or protecting their marks in the continent? I think the biggest mistake um, trademark owners make is, is not registering your trademark or their trademarks in Africa. Um, it's really important to basically look at your business with a three to five year forecast um, in, you know, in your mind, because it very often takes three to five years for trademarks to be registered in Africa. And ideally you don't want to be launching in, in a country where you're not yet protected. So, you should already be forecasting three to five years before launching um, to have protected your trademarks in those countries. Um, so this involves looking at the business every three to five years and determining whether expansion into Africa is a possibility or not. 
And I think a big mistake that a lot of people make is that they treat Africa as one big country, which it's not. You know, you're made up of all of these sovereign states that have their different laws and different requirements on what constitutes well-known. Is it protected? Is it not? And they have different requirements. So that's very important is to drill it down to which country you're going into and to have a look at whether well-known rights are protected and or if not, what is your strategy there? Hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it also comes down a little bit when once you are now in this enforcement situation, it's it's of course nothing is impossible if you have found yourself in a reactive situation. You know, now now you've got a problem, now you need to deal with it. I think having good communication particularly in countries where you have a presence, where you might have distributors or relationships with you know, other companies that are distributing your goods and so forth, those those boots on the ground contacts are so valuable to maintain because it's often your, your local contacts who will draw your attention to these infringements and, and issues on the market. And I really can't stress how important it is to communicate with them, to make sure that they're understanding your brand strategy so that they can effectively partner with you in your enforcement strategies and alert you to to what's going on on the ground so that you can be proactive. Um, They also often have a lot of your evidence that you need, you know, promotional events that they've been involved in, obviously with your authorization and license and all the rest of it. Um, But you want to have that relationship so that when you're in your enforcement situation and you want to gather the evidence and, you know, you're building your case, you, you have all of those resources to to call upon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then um, is there anything else or, you know, any other uh, challengers that listeners should be aware of when, uh, you know, protecting their marks in the region or in any particular countries? Um, I think that, you know, Africa has fantastic opportunities. We are a growing continent. And as a growing continent, you know, our resources may not be as up to speed as the rest of the world. So I think people just need to be aware that things will take longer in Africa. And coming back to the point I made earlier is that the registries are not often as skilled to deal with these complex issues, such as dealing with well-known rights and, you know, whether something constitutes a well-known right. So often in those instances, it's a lot easier to hand up a registration certificate and say that I am protected and, you know, X is infringing my trademark, as opposed to going the whole route of trying to convince the registry that your trademark is well known. So from a resources perspective, I think that is something that people need to be aware of, is that a lot of these registries are understaffed and under-resourced and things do take longer. And we've noted that in certain territories, there's also a tendency um to protect local business in these countries. So if you are foreign business, just saying my trademark is well known, but I don't have any trademark rights and it doesn't appear as though I have any intention to invest in your country, 
um, then we sometimes find that the registries are reluctant to find for the trademark owner and they tend to favor local business. So that is something that you, you know, need to be aware of. And something like that can be avoided if you simply had a trademark in those countries. Yeah, it absolutely simplifies your your enforcement um, down the line. You know, as Alyssa mentioned, there are some practical challenges that I, I think, you know, when you're you're litigating in Africa, you you will encounter some in some countries more so than others. For example, you may want to do in-market investigations in a particular country, but due to the vastness of the territory, due to, you know, transport difficulties or logistical issues in terms of just access to records, for example, you may find that that investigations can be difficult and costly. Um, another challenge that, that we find in Africa, and it also differs from country to country, is not all, not all countries really have a body of precedent on these sorts of issues. And well-known rights is, is one of these, where you may, for example, in a country like South Africa, have precedents, you know, judgments handed down by the Supreme Court of Appeal, over a hundred years worth of, of legal precedent and this body of IP law that you can lean on and, and rely on to get a, an idea or a gauge of how the presiding officer may consider your matter in other countries, there may never have been a matter before the courts solely on the basis of well-known rights. And, and there it's a lot more challenging because you are essentially making the law. I mean, it's certainly exciting from a litigator's perspective, um, but I think if you're an in-house legal counsel, it may sort of, you know, make you feel a little bit anxious because you just don't have that that certainty in all of these countries. So I think that's something to, to realize as well. And, and as Alyssa said, with the registries, in some instances, it's also the case with the courts where they, they simply have never heard a matter on a particular point. So there's a lack of experience perhaps, um, but, but we do see that as brand owners continue to invest in the continent as they continue to file their trademarks and enforce them, that body of precedent, of course, as a natural consequence, grows. So it's just something to bear in mind. You, you may have, have clear law in some countries and, and be very hazy in others. Absolutely. Well, um, thank you so much for all of those insights today. I mean, I think those were really helpful and our listeners will appreciate them a lot. So uh, thank you both for being on today and thanks to our audience for tuning in um, and hope everyone has a good uh, rest of the day. Thanks, Rani. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Rani. It was lovely. Thank you. Great to talk.